No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. Um, and I called my family to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello, everyone. I am Tim Lawson. I am the host of the one Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast. As you can tell from the intro, this is going to be a very powerful show as I'm going to tell the stories behind veteran suicide. This project got its birth when I realized that society and journalism so focused on the stats and, and making sure there was awareness that I felt like we were sort of dehumanizing the problem and forgetting that these are real people that we can talk to and that we can learn from. And these are stories that deserve to be told, whether it be a survival from suicidal behavior or the loss to suicide. These stories deserve to be told. And I am here uh, to tell these stories the best that I can through interviews with people that have been willing to step forward and share them. I do ask you that you respect everybody who comes onto my show. Um, this is a very difficult subject to talk about, as you can imagine. I did choose podcasting because I thought I thought audio was the perfect medium to uh, to provide guests with the opportunity to share their stories without having to be in front of a camera, and it, you still get the emotion that maybe text wouldn't be able to give you. So I thought audio was perfect for this. If you recognize someone on this show who has decided to remain anonymous, please do not call them out. Don't contact them. For those people that are willing to come forward and announce who they are, if you disagree with something that they said, please just keep it to yourself because, like I said, I do not want to discourage anybody from wanting to come share their story on my show, and I don't want anybody to regret their decision to come forward and try to help the issue and please listen and learn and take something from these stories take something from each interview and each provided audio clip there's something in here that you can that you can take from this and either apply it to your own life to a friend to friends and family to your own community to your own network whatever it may be that part of the objective of the one too many project is to provide practical means of intervening on suicidal behavior and hopefully you recognize that somewhere within these interviews and this project wouldn't ultimately be possible without the support that i've been getting from my friends my family and fans of my other podcasts and this project my kickstarter especially was helpful and when that was just funded a few months ago and has helped me create a foundation and now Wonderful sponsors have come forward to let me propel this project forward and make it successful. When I was connected with Heidi Burkhardt, the founder of Saxon Heart, I told her about the One Too Many project and 
When I offered her the opportunity to be a sponsor, she quickly agreed and was very enthusiastic about it. I offered Saxon Heart the opportunity to be a sponsor because I love what they're doing with the makeovers they have done to help people rediscover their beauty. This is very in line with the idea of renewed purpose, which is a huge theme of this project. These makeovers have helped people become their own inspiration, and that is so, so powerful. They've recently done a makeover with a veteran, and you can see a video on that and more information about Saxon Heart at onetoomanyproject.com slash saxonheart. I want to be able to inspire others to share their story. I want to remove the stigma that comes with suicide. I want to remove that discomfort in that anxiety that comes with trying to reach out to people and let them know that we are struggling and that we're hurting. So today I've decided to share my own battle with suicide. There were three specific events in my life as a teenager and as a Marine where I struggled with suicide and even one time attempted. I want to lead by example in today's show and share my story to show that I do not expect anybody to, to step forward with this sort of communication without showing that I it's something that I'm willing to do as well. So I've brought on John Lee Dumas, who is an Army veteran and a fellow podcast host, to come on and interview me about my struggle with suicidal behavior. John hosts the Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, and, in, and I respect him tremendously as a host and as an interviewer and was very grateful when he agreed to come be a part of this project. John was prompted with a few questions to base his interview around, but ultimately took his own route to what he thought was going to be a powerful message, and he did a great job. Listen to the interview, really take to heart what my story and John's reaction is, And stay tuned for my reflection on that interview and for other information on the One Too Many Project. So, Tim, we are from the military. We come from that background. We know that military officers, soldiers in general, we lead from the front. And that's what I want to do here during a little chat because you have your own struggles with suicide. And it's not easy to be that person that comes out and be that first person to drop their hat, so to speak. But... You're going to do that because you are a leader here, Tim. So give us a little background. Help us understand where you're coming from. Yeah, so um, I have three specific um, sort of times in my life where where suicide was was an issue, or at least the behavior and the thoughts. Um, The first instance was uh, when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, I was just angry. I was sort of depressed, you know, um, you know. Rough social life. I mean, I had friends, but I didn't really feel like maybe people people didn't get me, or you know, there was that you know times of isolation and whatnot. And um, I never, you know, it was, there were just thoughts. You know, I had contemplated suicide. I had thought about like, you know, well, what if this happened? And I, I think it was really just I wanted the philosophy behind it. And I was like, if if I did this, what would it mean? And nothing really came about it. But that was like my first um, sort of event or a time period where suicide was something that was on my mind. Then shortly after I joined the military, uh, I had a social situation and a you know relationship issue that was going on, um, and I had conducted myself in a way that I was sort of I, I felt really shameful in, and I felt guilty, and I had this moment of panic, 
and I grabbed the first bottle of pills that I found in the cupboard that looked like they could be lethal, um, threw them all down and washed them down with a, uh, with a, a bottle of beer. And it's, it's a really, it's a really scary feeling after that, wondering like, oh my goodness, is that actually going to kill me? Um, and, you know, I, obviously I felt drowsy and I, you know, I went to bed. I had no idea if I was going to wake up. I did. I woke up, um, the next morning, uh, thank God. And I really, it's so, it's so weird. Like, you know, looking back on it, like, oh my goodness, I really did just try to kill. Like I did all of that knowing that that could have, you know, taken my life. And, um, fortunately the, you know, whatever, I don't even know what pills they were, but, um, you know, they weren't lethal and I had to tell people, obviously, um, I didn't tell people right away, but, um, you know, a little bit down the line, I, you know, there, you know, the girl that I was dating at the time, like, you know, I, I told her like, you know, Hey, remember that time that this happened, like this is what the real situation was. And, you know, that was, that was tough. And, you know, I got through it. Um, you know, I joined the MSG program and I went, you know, my, my professional life was moving forward and I was able to, you know, I was starting to feel really good about myself. And, you know, suicide was still something that like I was, that I was like conscious about. And, you know, this is something that could potentially, you know, happen. And I wonder if that's something that I would ever do. The third, you know, the third event where suicide really started sort of taking it, like the thoughts sort of were really strong. Um, I was, you know, I was on post at one of my, at, uh, one of the embassies and I'm not going to say which one, but, you know, I was on post and I, uh, again, I had a really, uh, really like really rough social situation where I felt guilty again on like how I conducted myself and like the emotions that I was, um, like the emotional weight that I was giving people and just sort of destroying lives for my own, for my own benefit and, not intentionally, but I realized that that's what was going on. I started, and I started like really disliking myself. And this is all scary stuff to do. This is really scary thoughts to have when you're by yourself at one o'clock in the morning with three loaded weapons all in arm's reach of you. And, you know, I never, you know, I never unholstered my, my weapon. I never reached for another one. So there was, there was no attempt there and it didn't really get much further than me you know, I, I had to call home and I admitted what was going on. And, you know, my mom, she has, you know, had a hard time dealing with that. But, you know, those are, those are three, those are three times where like suicide really came to the forefront of my mind. Only one time led to an attempt, but, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's something that I've been conscious about for, for so long, but, you know, th- thankfully I, I haven't, you know, taken, uh, taken a step towards the edge yet. So the pivotal moment for me, Tim, listening to you here is the first time that you ever told anybody about this. And it sounds like it was during that second period when you told your, at the time, girlfriend. So take a couple of minutes here and kind of share with us the effects that you sharing that moment with her um, and then kind of go on into the, to talking about how that conversation went specifically with your mother. Because, you know, for people that are having these feelings, you know, the worst thing they can do is keep it all inside, but it takes so much courage to step out and to actually share it with the world. And that's what you did. So, so talk about the steps leading up to that and what it actually was for the experience itself. Yeah. So, you know, the talking to my, you know, my at, at time girlfriend about it, um, you know, it, it was really that particular event was really hard because, you know, she was sort of indirectly involved in, you know, it was betraying her and conducting myself um, in in a wrong way, knowing that that was you know that was wrong for me to do because I was in a relationship with her. So it was, it was even harder for her to hear that my guilt 
um, had to do with her, and that led to that. And it was really, it's really hard to admit. It's really hard to tell someone that you know my emotional struggles uh, come from my relationship with you. And um, while you know you did nothing wrong here, my attachment to you um, is really what uh, what what was the burden on on how I felt about myself. And you know, it, it took. It's really hard to get across to someone that, hey, this happened, but you know. It, you want to reassure them that it's not a problem, but at the same time, they, you know, they want to make sure that they can, that they can help you and that they can provide whatever support they want. At the same time, they don't, they feel like they're walking on eggshells now because now they know that they were, they may have been part of this problem. With my mom, it was, you know, I was on the other side of, on the, other side of the world, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning where I am. It was the afternoon where she was and she gets a random phone call from her son who's, um, you know, talking about, you know, suicide and how he's just so disappointed in himself. And, you know, she, God bless my mom, was just like, you know, this, this too shall pass. And, um, it's funny every time my mom says that, I want to roll my eyes, but I have to look back and realize well, she's been right all the other times that, that we've, we've <laughs> talked about this. So, well, well, Tim, get really into that because I think it's really will be fascinating for the listeners to hear how you originally broached that subject. I feel like that's the hardest part is the first words out of your mouth. How did you, you know, she's obviously like, oh, honey, how are you? It's great to hear from you. How do you drop that bomb? It was, you know, I had to talk about what was bothering me first and not necessarily what I was thinking about doing about it. Okay, so, so you eased into it. Right. So it's, it's, you know, hey, mom, blah, blah, blah. And even like, there's even like five minutes of like just friendly banter, you know, like how's dad, how are things going on, right. blah, 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 you know, and sort of getting into this conversation. Then, of course, you know, my, she's my mom. She could tell something's wrong. So she, you know, she, I, I think she actually prompted for, uh, for wanting to hear what was going on. And. Um, I was like, you know, well, you know, that there's, you know, when I was back home, this happened and, you know, these, you know, these two people are really disappointed in me. I'm disappointed in myself. And, um, you know, I may have just lost two key friendships and I, um, you know, I started really getting into what the problem is, what I'm going through. And then to sort of, you know, and then to sort of reach out and sort of, you know, sort of ask for some empathy or some support, you know, I was like, you know, and it's really, you know, I, I'm really scared. Like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm contemplating suicide and or you know I'm I'm sure I think I said it I actually think I said something really blunt like I'm put, thinking about putting a bullet in my brain <laughs> when you're a, when you're a mother of an only child or any you know children in general I mean that, that was hard for her to hear um and you know that's that was the approach that I had John was you know sort of talking about what was going on and then making sure after after I felt like the other person understood then letting them know like what you know what the what the the cruel reality was that I was thinking I was contemplating suicide and how does she react when you told her those words? She, you know, I could tell, I could hear her, like whispering a little bit. I could tell she started praying right away. Um, and she, you know, she told me, you know, Tim, you know, you don't need to do that. Like, you know, I know you've, been, I know you've had troubles with this. I know you're going through a tough time, but this too shall pass. This will, you know, you will get past this. And just sort of a lot of reaffirmation on like how good of, how good of a person I was and how, as dark as life was that, you know, I've been here before, um, sort of like that idea of, you know, I, you know, there's, you've probably been through worse and you've made it. Um, and so it's, it was really encouraging because she was reminding me of how strong I've been in the past and how I've been able to overcome stuff and overcome adversity like that. Wow. Wow. No, it really brings me back to my 13 months in Iraq because when we were stationed, 
in Fallujah and Aramadi and Habaniya, you know, we as officers were really being taught over and over again, you know, to look out for signs of suicide and really signs of depression. And what really amazed me, especially being a platoon leader of 16 men, both pre, during, and then post-deployment, was the amazing ability of human beings in general to acclimate. You know, we take the situations that we're surrounded with and we acclimate to those incredibly well. And you know, when we got back and we did an actual study over the over the two years prior, the six months leading up to deployment, the actual 13-month deployment, and then the six months after, Tim, there were more suicides. And there wasn't a lot, but there were more suicides during the six-month buildup and the six-month build-down than actually during the 13-month deployment. Um, just because, you know, for whatever reason, like these soldiers now, they had a true purpose. They were out there. They were There was this camaraderie, this brotherhood. And so, you know, that's what I think is really important to bring out of this is that you know, the times that we think we need to be most on guard may not even be. Sometimes it's just, you know, the, the times when we're, we're civilians or just we're back domestically, you know, at base. I mean, that's huge for us. So always be looking out for those signs. And what I want to do with you right now, Tim, is go back to the base. Like, I really want to go back to where these thoughts actually began that you can remember. Um, so talk about a specific trigger or something, you know, that actually slowly built up inside of you over time that the listeners can relate with. Right. So the, I think something that's really important to note on that, um, you know, the, the second, you know, era where, you know, I had the attempts, um, and then the third where I just sort of panicked again and, and was going through wrong. It was my mind was suggesting, you know, that again, that, that cliche term, my mind was suggesting a, permanent solution to a temporary problem um but it does get a lot deeper than that going back to when i was a teenager and the reason why suicide has been so prevalent in my you know in, in my thoughts and at the forefront and like the philosophy behind it is because i as anybody like i you know for i spent most of my life trying to value life like what is the value behind it what's what does this all mean like you know and you know whether you're religious or not like there's that constant like what does all this really mean to both my life the people around me and the people around you know after i'm gone and in this you know that's where suicide really started becoming an option in my mind is because i had come to this my own personal understanding that, you know, life really didn't have much value past just the idea of living. And, you know, that came from my own spiritual um, conflicts. And that came from, um, I guess, sort of a pessimistic view on, you know, history and, and you know, the the real meaning behind, you know, why we live our lives. And, um, and it, you know, this sounds almost sort of abstract. I mean, it's, it's, it's what was, it's what first started there. That That's the, that's the base problem that I was having is I, I believed that, you know, if I were to take my own life or just die in general, that, you know, there would be that ripple effect of, of people who are impacted, but, you know, within a very short amount of time, I would just be another story statistic or, um, you know, what have you. So, Tim, where are you at now with all of this? Where have you come to at this point in your life? And, and really share with the listeners why you're doing what you're doing. Right. So, you know, there was one time, and I guess this story is worth, is worth, worth, worth telling. Um, I was walking around, um, I was actually, I think I was in Las Vegas and I was, I was walking around at night. I was actually having a, having a really good day. Um, but for some reason, some, something had put, suicide on my on my mind and not not me wanting to kill myself but uh, you know just thinking about the idea of suicide and 
I came to some re- like came to like some really odd reality that I was like, if that's something I wanted to do, I think I'd be capable of it. And it's it, it scared me like to to realize like oh my goodness if this is if this really was something I thought about doing that I would actually like be able to go through with it. And um, from that point on, I started seeing more stuff on veteran suicide, military suicides, and I started realizing that you know we're all having just like the wrong conversation about this. Um, you know, I still struggle with this stuff. I still have bad days and wonder what the value of my life is, and I still have you know. I I still experience failures that make me wonder like is you know is um was that failure it like was that my opportunity and um not just not and that's not to say that I think about killing myself every time but it's that it goes back to that base problem of like how do I really value my life how do I really value my existence um, you know within um the history of humanity and where I am right now is you know I I have a really great support group within my friends and my family and I have created a better value for myself by being a leader and being a role model. And that has been able to give me a more daily, you know, inspiration to constant, to continue, um, valuing myself and being able to, if I hit that dissonance again, you know, of is it, does any of this really matter? Um, I have a, you know, daily reminder of yes, it does. And, and I know that this is something, and it and it came through the three things that I've learned the most of this, John, which are finding a mentor, receiving empathy, and renewing purpose. And I've experienced all three of those, and they've all been extremely helpful in my own personal life and with my, with you know, any suicidal behavior that I may experience. I, it, it's aided me in being able to keep my head up, move forward and want to reach out to people who I know are experiencing the same thing. It's, I know that there's plenty of not just veterans, but just people in general that go through these same emotional issues and these same social, you know, problems that it just, it starts making you, you know, wonder, it starts, you start feeling isolated and you start wondering, um, you know, you can feel really, you can feel really by yourself and alone and, um, you know, just being able to, you know, tap someone on the shoulder that you trust and be like, hey, this is some problems that I'm having and this is unfortunately the, the mindset that I'm in right now and how wonderful it is that there, I promise that there's people in your life that are who are willing to, to sit down and just listen to everything you have to say and just being able to experience that empathy, being able to experience that, um, that mentorship that you can get from somebody, it's really it's it's reviving. So Tim, you've been conscious of your suicidal thoughts for a long time now. I mean, since your teenage years. And you just mentioned those three things that have been really powerful for you in dealing with these thoughts and just with this reality that you live in. Just take a second and and share a real life example of you in each every in every one of those, the mentorship, the empathy, etc. Like really kind of bring that to to a real level. Absolutely. When uh, the mentorship I experienced the most when um, or when I ex- experienced first was when I was, you know, during the teenage years, um, a youth pastor um, that I that I was really close with was a great mentor of mine. And um, he was there during my first, you know, I, I admitted to him and another adult leader that I was experiencing these these thoughts. And they were very, you know, they were like, well, this is something we need to talk about. And, you know, they, they closed the door and they gave me uh, privacy. And I, I and he 
he didn't force anything out of me. He didn't, he didn't tell me, he didn't rush me to get help. He just listened to what I had to say. He gave me one thing to think about. And then he followed up every couple of days and not just about like, Hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? But just followed up like, did you see the game last night? Constant contact. And, you know, it was nice to know, you know, when you're, when you're experiencing these sort of emotional issues, it's, it's nice to know that someone's just genuinely interested in, yeah. in hearing about you and hearing from you. And it's, it's that connection that you can make. And, it's hard to want to go down that road of suicide when you know you have so many bonds that you'd have to break to do it. And being able to have that strong one of mentorship of someone being able to just follow up. And, you know, it did come up, you know, obviously every week or so he'd be like, Hey, you know, how are, you know, how are you feeling? How are you thinking? You know, are you still thinking about these things? And either, you know, no matter what the answer was, he just listened and he would just give me one or two things to think about and give me sort of an objective. And it was actually, it was nice because it was almost an exercise that I had to put through my brain and it really helped me figure out how I felt about all this stuff. Um, you know, the empathy, you know, I, I get that all the time, John. It's, it's really amazing, especially just in the past like five or six months where I've been doing this project, being able to provide it to the people that I'm interviewing. And then also when I get, when I tell people my, my own story, how much I receive it back. But, um, I think one of my best friends, he, I could sit there and talk for hours on end and he'll say like three things to me. Um, but those three things, you know, reassure me that, that he understands, um, and he wants to understand. And, um, that's something that I've been extremely grateful for my entire life. And I'm, I'm fortunate to have known him as long as I have. Um, but it, you know, the empathy, you know, the empathy part, what's really nice about it is you can, d- depending on how you feel, you know, you can get that from someone who's really close to you, or if you just want an ear to listen, there's so many different ways you can reach out for someone, you know, you know, it's, you know, the hotlines, the, the, the groups or whatever, it's, it's really easy to, um, when no matter, no matter what you're going through to get an ear to listen to when that enough can provide that empathy. Um, and then the renewing purpose, uh, John, you know, the Marine Corps did it for me. Um, podcasting did it for yeah. me. You know, it's, um, I've never been so motivated in my life since two years ago when I just started, when I decided to start getting into podcasting and oh, just nice. the, in the, co- in the constant, I knew you were going to love that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, you know, it's just the constant contact I had with people and knowing that, and, it, and that's a little bit more in this sort of indirect empathy, right? Is I got, seeing those numbers, whether it's 20 hits on an episode or 6,000 hits on an episode, it lets me know that that many people wanted to listen to what I had to say. They chose to listen to those words. Exactly. And being able to have an outlet that isn't necessarily, hey, can we sit down and talk about my problems, but just having an outlet where like, here, here's what I have, here's something I have to say. And people being like, yep, I want to hear that. Um, that, that provided both, you know, a little bit of empathy and that renewed purpose, like, holy crap, people want to hear what I have to say. I have to continue providing it for them. Um, and so, in, and Paul, or, um, John, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, with the Duffel blog, um, the satire news site, um, that yep. makes fun of the military. Paul, <laughs> Paul Zolger was one of my first interviews for this, for this thing. He's the creator of the Duffel blog and he spoke about his own personal issues and how just getting the right job, you know, getting a job he really cared about and he was passionate for was enough renewed purpose to, to, to get him out of that uh, emotional distress. Wow. Those are just three great examples. And I think that's one issue that a lot of people do deal with, Tim, is, you know, how is this going to affect people around me now? I mean, I've had suicidal thoughts in the past, and then you move forward, and you've had more suicidal thoughts and more experiences and more people that you're sharing with, and now your family knows. And so every time you know, you're sitting down at dinner with your mother, 
you know, is, are your thoughts going back to that conversation you had? And are you wondering if she's wondering if you're currently having these thoughts? I mean, this is all things that people are going to be thinking if they let the quote unquote cat out of the bag. So let's talk, you know, let's end this really strongly by talking about how suicide and, you know, just your being upfront and open about it has affected people around you today. And what has that meant to you, you know, as a podcaster, as a veteran? And just as a person, and I'll speak to it real quickly before I pass the, the virtual mic back over to you is, you know, Tim, I mean, we've interacted with each other in person over, over Skype, you know, multiple times before. And, you know, you bringing this to me, you know, being a veteran myself and having dealt with this with my soldiers, et cetera, you know, this is a topic that I was really honored to be a part of and to contribute to and to now, you know, be this side of the microphone during this this conversation that we're having right now because it's going to help so many people and I can honestly tell you that my thoughts of you and you know my opinion of you only rose when you were verbal about this because I'm like the courage the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this and to open yourself up you know to that kind of potential pain that you went through with the focus of helping others is truly courageous. And so, you know, I want to commend you for that. I just want to share my perspective as a person that you opened up to that has only brought us closer together. And we're having this very conversation because of that. So, you know, that's kind of my point that I want to, I want to kind of finish home with right here while we're talking about the importance of being verbal and open about it and, and bringing it to the people that you know, like, and trust and love because you truly could be shocked at the power that you're going to have on other people and then just the relationships you're going to grow from that. So, Tim, take us home. Yeah, John, and that's a really great point, I, and I really appreciate you um, you saying that because that is that this is one of the biggest stigmas that people have to overcome is being – being, you know, when you walk into a room, you don't want, you fear that everybody's going to look at you as that guy who commit, tried to commit suicide. And I think that's the, I think if you're, if you're having emotional distress, it's a little, not easier, but there's less uh, stigma attached to how people are going to respond to me later down, later down the road. But if you've had, an, if you've attempted, it's really hard to admit that because you don't want people to, one, fear that you're going to just, you know, implode at any moment or two, that, People are going to look at you as like, you're, oh, you're that guy or you're that girl. Right. You're, you know, you're that person that tried that. And I can tell you right now, I've, I've admitted this to so many people. I've tried to have this conversation and, you know, to let people, let the people that I'm talking to know that they're not alone. I tell them about my own stories and, you know, and just, and they have the same reaction as you did, John, is like, they, they almost look up to you because like, wow, that's a huge burden that you just passed a lot, that you just opened up, opened up for. And it's an extremely vulnerable feeling. But it is so empowering almost when you realize that people care, they want to hear about it, and they almost look up to you because you've been able to make that step. So everything that you just said as being on the other side of it, I think, speaks even more to how what the reality is. And sure, there's going to be some, you know, there's, there, you know, there, there's always one, right? There's always, there's going to be some people that respond negatively. There's going to be some people who, you know, try to label what you did um, or that what you're going through is weak or cowardly, but they are just noise. And there's so many people around you in your life, in your network that want to hear about it. And I promise you, they've probably experienced some, I mean, we're all emotional people. We've all been sad before. So, you know, everybody ha in some way, can empathize with what you're going through and they want to they want to encourage you to move forward and stay strong. Well, Tim, again, I'm honored to have been on the other side of the microphone during this conversation. I know the impact this is going to have. So, thank you again for coming out for being the forefront of this incredibly worthy cause. 
Um, I'm just looking forward to continuing to support this and to see you know, the inspiration and everything else that comes from it. Absolutely. John, thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to do this. And I, I, think it's, uh, I think we delivered a really powerful message. Same here. Thanks. A big thank you to John Lee Dumas for joining me for that interview and, and providing such a important lead interview to go into this project. I wasn't sure, and I'm still not sure, as this podcast is being released in a few days. I wasn't, I'm not sure how I feel about my friends and family finally finding out the setting and the context in which I went through my struggles. That I think is where a lot of these issues arise is I've actually had no problem um, recently, especially since I've gotten involved in this, this project, I haven't had much of a problem telling people that yes, I also have battled suicidal behavior it's a little harder to admit that I've attempted, but I'm glad that I was able to get that out there. I actually feel a little liberated, especially uh, you know, with John's response that he even respected me more after hearing that conversation. But even though so many of my friends and family know that I've battled with suicide, not a lot of them know the context. Not a lot of them know the setting. They don't know that I was a teenager and going through this. Not a lot of them know that, that you know, my attempt occurred while I was in the Marine Corps. A lot of people don't know that. And I, I've actually been wondering over the past couple of weeks uh, since I've had this interview with John, what are they going to think? What are they going to think when they hear that I went through suicidal, that I struggled with suicidal behavior in a time where they were a big influence, or that they were heavily involved in my life? And they start to, I start to wonder, you know, do I become a burden? But no, I don't. And I think that John was able to show that with his response. Um, although, you know, John obviously wasn't there in those particular settings, but just his response. I interact with my mother all the time, and this never comes up. I interact with a few of my friends who are aware, and... It's still a healthy relationship. There's still healthy friendships. And I think that one of the reasons, and this isn't going to be the case all the time, but something since, I, since I've started doing this project, a lot of people have come forward telling me, hey, I didn't know other people thought this way. I, didn't, I thought I was the only one. I didn't know that my peers were struggling with the same emotional burdens as I was. So if you decide to reach out to someone, especially a peer, especially someone who maybe went through the same trauma as you did, maybe someone who you at least are confident and, and can trust that they better understand you, there's a good chance that even though they may not reciprocate and open up to you, that they can resonate with what you're going through and what you're expressing with. So I encourage everybody who's listening to this to take what I just did with John and find someone that you trust. It doesn't have to be about suicide. It doesn't have to be about emotional problems, but just be honest about what's going on. When a loved one, when a significant other, when one of your best friends asks you, Hey, what's, what's going on? You seem a little, you seem a little out of it today. You seem a little down. Don't be afraid to be honest because that's going to make, that's going to build your relationship with them. And it's going to help. It's going to make you feel a lot better 
that now someone knows and they understand. And now that you've connected that bridge, you can go back to it. And I think that's I think that's really really important. I have been very honest with my significant other about my emotional struggles and with some insecurities and vulnerabilities that I feel inside of me. And it was tough to do at first, but now that I've done that, I know I can go right back to her and tell her and give her updates and tell her when I'm back down that hole or when I feel revived in it. And she, she has context. She understands. And it's a great resource for me to get both empathy and a little bit of constructive criticism when I'm, uh, when I'm acting a little silly, on you know what the next step forward is and now that i have that confidant i can better myself and my emotional and mental health i mentioned in my interview uh you know my discussion with paul zoldra about the renewed purpose behind a career and i wanted to share a little bit from that interview paul won't have his own his own episode, but I will be using snippets and clips from my discussion with him throughout the series because he made a lot of great points. So uh, here's here's a small clip from my interview with Paul. Okay, so like I'm sure uh, you you just mentioned that you know you had your own thoughts. Sure. Well, I will I will I will be fine with admitting that uh, when I first got I'm kind of feeling down, and I'm sure the the thought certainly crossed my mind. Hey, maybe I could put a bullet in my head. Uh, why was that? Why was it even an option for me? Well, it was like the combination of getting out of the military and not knowing what the hell to do. I didn't have a job, uh, so I was str- kind of struggling with money. Just the whole idea of leaving this military mindset and having to with civilians, going to college, and the stress that that provided. That was. I just listed like four different things. Okay, so four things and probably more kind of contributed to that, but. I obviously I didn't like I didn't let that get to me and my point with that whole thing is there's never there's never one thing that's like oh he went to Iraq and that's why he killed himself yeah. no it was it was he went to Iraq and then he got home and then he couldn't get a job so uh, he couldn't provide for his family and since he couldn't provide for his family his wife started p- getting pissed off and you know they started arguing about things uh, so like all these things compound and you know. It, just one big big thing but i mean i can totally i can totally empathize with the veteran that's like sitting at home and he you know can't he can't he or she can't pay the because they don't they can't get a job um and definitely a sense of bed there you know i mean i had i had plenty of thoughts of like oh my god i'm going to be on the street i'm gonna be homeless i'm not gonna be able to pay my bills um, and it, all these thoughts that are terrifying uh, to a person that was so used to getting the paycheck. Paul Soldier was actually one of the first people that I interviewed for this project, and it was a great first step into learning how to have these conversations and how veterans thought about their military service, the transition out of it, and the emotional struggles that come with that. If you have any insight, any questions, any feedback, or if you just want to be involved in a, in conversation regarding this subject, I plan on holding a Hangout, a Google Hangout, each week, a couple of days after an episode releases, so that way I can invite you, the audience, to come talk with me, ask questions, provide more insight, 
your own opinions, own feedback, and we can have this conversation together. one too many projectcom slash hangout is where you can get more information on when these hangouts are going to occur. I hope to have the first one on Wednesday, June 11, time to, de- to be determined. So please go to that link to know the final time. I'm still new to the platform, so forgive me if it's not perfect the first time, but hopefully we can get a, uh, uh, several of you on there and start having this conversation. O-N-E, the number two, manyproject.com slash hangout for more information on that. Each week, I, th- I really want to wrap up the show with with a resource, with something that you can take away, not just insight that you can take away from it, but like an actual resource or service. And this week, it's going to be really simple. And I think one of the biggest resources we have is each other. And I say that because I've always been astonished on how little communication is going on between the people who are trying to be involved in the problem and the people who are actually at the core of the problem. And I feel like I feel like the number one resource we have for getting insight on veteran suicide is the veteran. And that's part of the One Too Many project and what we're doing here. But we also have each other as a resource for empathy, for renewed purpose, for mentorship, for a lot of what we talked about today with myself and John. So think about someone who could be a resource to you in any of those levels and let them know. And again, it doesn't have to be a super deep conversation. Just make that connection. Build that bridge so you can go back across it when you need to. And as I mentioned at the top of the episode, this project was able to propel forward with the support that I got through my Kickstarter campaign and I have to make sure that each each episode that I thank a handful of the contributors to that pro, th- to that Kickstarter. Uh, so big thank you to Caleb Stevens, Penance Hall, Mandy Wolch, Newbolds, Silence in the Library Publishing, Laura Castle, Andrew Follett, and Randy Dodge. All of you, thank you so much for your for your pledges your contributions, your support, your promotions. I really, really appreciate it. I want to thank you again for listening. I want to thank you again for taking the time to take in this episode. I know uh, these shows are going to be a little bit, be a little bit longer than most of the podcasts that you probably consume, but it's important to me that all of the material and all the information gets put into these shows while still letting the, the story be told in its entirety. So, even if you don't get a chance to take it all in in one listening in one sitting, I thank you for being able to listen. One too many project dot com o n e the number two many project dot com is where you can find more information, show notes on this particular episode, information on becoming a sponsor, and how you can support the project overall. Thank you again. I'll see you next week.